My name is Dr. Howard Lyon, Senior Chair of the History Department at New Haven College. I'm also the best-selling biographer of P.T. Barnum, the greatest asterisk showman. Due to circumstances beyond my control, I find myself with a lot of free time on my hands. I decided to turn my biographical prowess to the fictional Cheers verse and write the definitive life story of Fraser Crane, using only the data provided by Cheers, Wings, and 11 seasons of his titular sitcom. In our last episode, we covered the love lives of the Cranes, from Fraser to Marty to Lilith to this guy, Nikos. Ever heard of him before this podcast? I don't think so. I had to suffer through that lousy episode with the Greek cranes, and now you get to reap the reward? That's not fair! It doesn't seem fair! We also left with another cliffhanger, courtesy of my agent Ryan. He keeps demanding more quote-unquote razzle-dazzle. I also know that he's using my newfound publicity to pay for his gambling losses. I know about it all, Ryan. I hope my hard work gets you in decent financial shape, because when I sue your sorry ass, I want to make sure you have something worth taking. Oh, uh, the the, the cliffhanger. Mm -mm. Uh, Now that Daphne and Niles confessed their love for each other, would Daphne truly go through with marrying Donnie Douglas? Of course not. This is a TV show we're talking about. What has become a running theme in this series, another sap was left at the altar. While preparing for the wedding, Daphne's niece Audrey looked up and called her the saddest bride she'd ever seen. Daphne knew she couldn't say yes to Donnie and left the crowd of 100 friends and family to run off with Niles in a Winnebago. Yes, I didn't mention a few episodes back, the Cranes now have a Winnebago. The two eschewed the drive-off into the sunset route and decided to do the sort of honorable thing, so they turned around and faced the music. Niles confessed to his new wife, Dr. Melkarnovsky, that he was in love with Daphne. Daphne did the same with Donnie. And then, true bedlam broke out at the scenic Wayside Inn. Fraser and Marty later claimed they had front row seats to one of the most disastrous weddings in history. Considering Fraser's own embarrassment in Italy, that truly meant something. I have received a lot of complaints, anonymous letters, a nasty text from an Indiana number, you know who you are. And they all say the same thing. You people, uh, the royal you, not you the individual, unless you are saying this and shame on you, you keep saying that this podcast has moved away from its premise in the most recent episodes. You say that I have focused too much on the lives of Daphne, Niles, Marty, Dr. Mel Karnofsky, Nikos Crane, and the rest. To that I say, yes I have! I have, and you know why? Once Fraser moves to Seattle, his life becomes a total snooze. Sure, sure, things were exciting right away. The new home, the new job, the new friends. 
but once he settled in, he became the ringmaster to other, more interesting stories. Big things happen to everyone else, but nothing happens to him. Just a series of opera board meetings and the starts of relationships that never go anywhere. To be honest, this was much easier to write when Fraser was but a small boy, staging plays in his backyard and getting hit in the nuts by angry girls. At least I had something to work with. Now? Now I have to blow through years of Fraser's life because nothing truly special happens. Maybe I should have made this a biography of Niles Crane. Maybe my agent Ryan wants me to do that next, too. He has lost so much money throwing dice, it's pathetic. The man has a problem. But rather than seeing this as a problem, I see this as a challenge. Let's dive deeper into this. Fraser, after an initial bump of excitement, found himself again in a semi-comfortable routine. Let us fast forward to 2001, the 9-11 year. KACL, the venerated Seattle AM station, was nominated for nine CB Awards, and Fraser was getting a special honor, the Stephen R. Schaefer Lifetime Achievement Award. It was a prestigious award, but Fraser didn't see it that way. Instead, he became despondent. He turned to an unlikely source for comfort, his old mentor, Dr. William Tewksbury. Tewksbury, now working at the University of Washington, was thrilled to see Fraser again. It had been over 20 years since their days together at Fair Harvard. Their reunion, however, turned into an impromptu therapy session. Tewksbury, played by Rene Abogenois, a.k.a. Odo, the changeling constable in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, helped Fraser look under some of the biggest rocks in the garden of his life. Fraser realized that he had pushed away important people in his life. His son Frederick, his callers, they were all kept at a distance. After this session, Fraser did manage to get to the Seabees, just in time to accept his award. His speech was short and sad. Thank you for honoring my life, he said. Just wish I knew what to do with the rest of it. From that moment on, Fraser made a change. He made an effort to live a life of meaning. Soon after, Frederick came to visit and Fraser took him, against his will, camping. Fraser was hopeful that the three generations of Crane present would read Henry David Thoreau's Walden in the so-called splendor of the Pacific Northwest, which is pure horseshit compared to the untouched beauty of New England. At first, Fraser was upset that his son was spending his time playing with the kids from a nearby campsite. But Frederick soon told his father some big news. He just had his first kiss with a girl named Melody. Fraser was touched that his son would share this special moment with him. Frederick was growing up, and Fraser, despite hundreds of miles between them, was helping him do so. 
After a time, I stopped sharing anything with my father, as he often took pleasure in sullying my happiest moments. One day, I came back from Yankee Stadium, and I had caught a foul ball from Roger Maris. And when I told my father, he took that ball and gave it to his dog, and he and my mother just laughed and laughed as it immediately became a chew toy. They just kept laughing. Well, she was drunk. What was his excuse? Fraser too, seemed to finally find love. Through a mutual friend, in fact, his high school crush, Lana Lindley, he met the sophisticated Claire French. She was the real deal. She got along with the other cranes. She was crazy about Fraser, and he thought that she was perfect for him. But after their first engagement of lovemaking, he had an intensely erotic dream about none other than Lana Lindley. Some people say, you can't read in dreams, but I can read in dreams. Just last night, I read the tombstone of a Mr. Dylan McCurdy, died 2023 by the honorable blade of his girlfriend's ex-husband, Dr. Howard Lyon of New Haven, Connecticut. It was a good dream. And then all my teeth fell out. And then I was Frasier. Am I Frasier? I'm... I'm... I'm so confused spiritually. Why did God abandon me? Where is God? Why did you leave me behind, Jesus Christ? Despite his compatibility with Claire, Fraser simply could not get Lana out of his head. He broke up with Miss French, and he was beginning to get worried about this pattern in his life. Why was he always alone, looking for something elusive, something better? To think things through, Fraser went off to the woods for some solitude. He was, at this point, 48 years old, a man stuck while others changed around him. He conjured up the ghosts of girlfriends past, Diane, Nanette, Lilith. He even confronted the specter of his mother, Hester. He asked them all why he could never find true love. And through these conjurations, he realized that he was afraid of rejection. Again and again, he found himself alone because he was afraid of being alone. Many have been there. Not myself. I'm fine with being alone. I've been alone for 13 months, and look at me, making this award-winning podcast. It will win awards. We now jump to 2002, the complicated by Avril Lavigne year, and wedding bells are in the air. Niles and Daphne were enjoying a loving and sexually thrilling relationship, and Niles wanted to make an honest woman of her. For the proposal, he went all out, hiring musicians and actors, even celebrity chef Wolfgang Puck, who was brought in to prepare a special meal. But weeks of planning were dashed 
when Daphne came down with the flu and just wanted to lay on the couch. But Niles couldn't put it off any longer. Forgoing the intricate plans, he winged it. He proposed, and Daphne accepted. Let's take a slight detour now to Boston, Massachusetts. Fraser was visiting his old stomping grounds to attend a professional conference. He brought along his whole family, Marty, Daphne, and Niles, to see the sights. Through sheer coincidence, he ran into none other than Barfly Cliff Clavin at the airport. Cliff, a longtime USPS employee, was finally retiring. He invited the Cranes to his retirement party, and the world's finally collided. Carla, Norm, and a number of other Cheers regulars met and mingled with the gang from Fraser. Fun, right? Wrong. This is perhaps the worst episode of television ever made. You'd think that Cliff, a decades-long regular at Cheers, would have his party at the beloved watering hole, wouldn't you? Hmm? But he didn't. He had it at some featureless hotel conference room they called the Somerville Town Crier. The in-universe explanation was that Sam Malone had a Red Sox reunion the same night. The real reason? A penny-pinching Kelsey Grammer didn't want to make TV dreams come true! I've never produced a television show... Although I have produced a hit off-off-Broadway play about a sword-fighting detective, but I imagine it would cost a lot of money to recreate the iconic Cheers bar and hire Woody Harrelson and Ted Danson for a cameo. But at this point, Kelsey Grammer was making $1.6 million an episode. He could have dipped into his bursting coffers to make this a true, proper reunion. Don't you get it, Kelsey? It was wrong to do a Cheers reunion episode and not go to Cheers! The Somerville Town Crier? What the fuck is that? There is right and wrong in this world, and it is wrong to deny us this. Can you, can you imagine? Niles sitting down in cheers. Can you imagine seeing Marty waddle down those steps? I'm right about this. I'm right. I'm right about this. I'm right about Kelsey. I'm right that you're a pathetic loser and a pile of harsh I'm sorry. I guess I care more about this silly universe than I thought. Uh, Maybe I am going a little mad in here. No. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Frazier's career took an important step in 2002, complicated by Avril Lavigne, and his show got picked up by another station. That's right. Frazier was not syndicated. But now a new market was added to his growing, very slowly growing empire. Spokane. And later that year, he was nominated for an Excellence in Broadcasting Decency Award for an episode of his show where he spent the whole three hours 
talking to a pregnant teenager. It seems that Fraser's crisis of self spurred him to become a better broadcaster, a better father, son, brother, and man. Speaking of brothers, Niles surprised his family yet again by dashing off to Reno with Daphne. They eloped in a chapel called the Lucky Seven. Now that she was officially a crane, Daphne moved out of Fraser's apartment. It was a difficult moment of transition for everyone, as that had been her home for so many happy years. But Fraser, secretly overjoyed, immediately turned her room into a reading sanctuary. I'm sorry to say, things were about to get frightening for the cranes, and it all started with a toothache. Niles was suffering from oral pain and had a crazy idea. Perhaps this was referred pain, where something else in the body was hurting, but the pain appeared uh, in his tooth. On a whim, he visited a doctor to check on his heart. There, Niles' cardiologist found an anomaly in his EKG that was so troubling, he was whisked away to the hospital. Tests revealed that there was a significant blockage, thankfully caught before a true cardiac event. But he would need open-heart surgery. It was an arduous process for the whole family. But our boy got out okay. You, uh, ma'am, um, have you ever had surgery? I, I had a, a polynatal cyst removed. What is that? It's a little thing at the base of your spine where you... Get so you had a tail? Base of your spine removed? You, you had a tail removed? No, it's not a tail. Oh, can you believe it? Listeners, this man in my home, he had a tail removed. Ugh, horrific. Niall's recovery was difficult. The trauma of being so close to death made him sheepish, nervous, and overcautious. Marty, who also once danced with the grim specter of death, was able to help his youngest son get through this frightening time. The family had grown in so many ways. My family never grew. My father, he was a Navy man. Um, it was a hard life. He was a cold, uh, a very, a very cold man. We'll call it for this episode... When we meet again, we'll see if Fraser is successful in his quest to better himself. Do you think he is? Uh, please don't let me know. I am sincerely not interested in your opinions. This is Dr. Howard Lyon, and that's a wrap on this episode of The Fraser Files. Thank you for listening to The Fraser Files. The Fraser Files was researched, written, and performed by Stephen Winchell and developed for audio by Stephen Winchell and Ian Abramson. This episode also featured Adam Goron as Quinn, directed by Lara Unterstall, with audio recording and production by Adam Goron. Music by Stephen Winchell and Takuya Yoshida. If you enjoyed our program, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. You can find us on social media at Fraser Files, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Blue Sky. 
You can also send us an email at fraserfilespod at gmail.com. Thank you again for exploring the rich world of Fraser Crane with us.